0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Avengers Episode 3B, uh, covering the the second half of the Avengers Epic Collection, The Masters of Evil. These are issues from 1967 and 1968. Actually, all of these are from 1968, I think. Uh, Avengers 51 from starting in April uh, 1968. I am your host,
1: Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Avengers co-host, Chris Russ. In this uh, episode today, we're going to be talking about Avengers fifty-one through fifty-six, Avengers Annual number two, X-Men number forty-five, and there's also in, at the back of this Epic Collection uh, uh, excerpts from Not Brand Eck number five and eight.
0: Yeah, so we got a lot to cover here, and uh, we'll have a special guest a little later on in the show. We'll tell you about that later. And mm-hmm. yeah, before we go on, uh do you what what do we need to know before jumping into the back half of these issues? Where did we leave off la- last time?
1: Yes. So we left off with Hercules um, kind of going back to uh, Olympus, uh, battling against Typhon, um, being uh, kind of proving himself worthy and being accepted back into Olympus. So he's no longer on Earth with the Avengers. Uh, We also have uh, very recently um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch running off with Magneto um, after Magneto kind of manipulated um, a dramatic showdown actually caused a bullet to graze Scarlet Witch's head, which made it look like a, a human had fired a gun at her. Um, and so Quicksilver you know, is, hates humanity, um, only wants to be around um, you know, other mutants like Magneto and him and uh, uh, Scarlet Witch leave the Avengers. So the Avengers are in kind of a very depleted state right now. So the only kind of active members of the team uh, are Hawkeye and, um, and Goliath and the Wasp at this point.
0: Uh, So before we get into our episode, I asked people for some comments about this epic collection, and I didn't get a whole lot of response from it, actually. But uh, Frank said, this is a good volume. The beginning is kind of slow and the stories are way too wordy. I know it's the 60s, but man, Uh, (laughs) the book starts hitting the good marks after the crew gets larger and we finish with the Cold War stuff. The last few issues mm. are as good as the next volume, which is awesome. Visually, Don yes. Heck goes from nice to boring and Busema is on fire. The issues with his own inks are phenomenal. A nice collection overall. Yeah, we talked about John Buscema inking his own stuff in the previous episode. And I don't yes. think we get any more of that in this in this epic collection, unfortunately.
1: I don't think so. No, not with, not in the second half of the collection. But there's some really good uh, inks um, here as well. We have some great work by George Klein that I really like. Um, and, and also you see interesting treatments change. So as this volume goes on, you start to see like uh, screen tones and like, zip-a-tone added in, yep. um, and which adds some nice uh, flavor to the comics and, and makes them feel, uh, ha- you know, have a different flavor to them as well. And that, that stuff about pace of reading is really true. So I, I think it, it's interesting because the slower issues were also written by Roy Thomas, but, you know, these are it's Marvel method, um, presumably, so these are plotted largely be- just because, you know, the uh, drawings happen before the dialogue is added in um, by John Buscema. So as his panels kind of um, fill with characters more, he, he eventually just kind of fills up all the available space with um, with these amazingly po- posed characters, and he moves the action along really fast. Heck would always draw a lot of talking heads, and even when Buscema has talking heads, the characters are always in dramatic poses. So I think that just lends itself to a quicker reading experience, and honestly, there's just less room for word balloons, so <laughs> that might be a part of it as well.
0: I think a lot of it also is that when, when Roy started, he was emulating Stanley quite a bit. Yes, and, and very quickly, I think he settles into more of his own style, which is just not as wordy. Um, He's still very wordy compared to like when you read his stuff in the 90s compared to contemporary people at that time. Um, but right. yeah, you're right. He he lets the artwork speak more for itself. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think part I of it also agree, is that way. John, he will frequently, very frequently only have four panels to his page. Maybe sometimes even mm-hmm. three. Uh, not very often will he go to six or more panels. And so when you have eight panels on a page and you put a narration box in all eight panels... That's mm-hmm. a lot to read. But if there are only four panels and you put a narration box in all four panels, that's just four narration boxes. It re- literally cuts the, the writing in half.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it has a distinct, direct impact.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also have a Twitter poll that I want to talk about. Um, I asked the question, who is your favorite of the third wave of 1960s Avengers? Right? We saw the first wave, of course, is the original founding members. The second wave is Mm -hmm. Captain America, Quicksilver, Hawkeye, and Scarlet Witch. And now we're seeing another wave of characters coming in with Hercules, Black Panther, Black Knight. And in the next volume, we're going to see Vision. So I asked people to vote Mm -hmm. on Twitter, who is your favorite out of these four characters? And uh, what would your response
1: be, Chris? So my response would be Vision. He's one, he might be my favorite Avenger. I like Captain America a lot, but as an Avenger specifically, I really love the Vision. He's not in this epic collection, but um, I'm a big fan of the Vision.
0: Um, I'm going to have to vote for Vision as well. He is definitely, I think, uh, the most interesting character. He just has such a unique perspective and a unique voice uh, compared to any of the Mm -hmm. other Avengers, even out of these four. Uh, And you have quite a variety in these four. I mean, talking about Hercules, Black Panther, and Vision, and even you can throw Black Knight. He's kind of a little bit more of a bland character, but out of Hercules... Hercules, Black Panther, and Vision—you've got some pretty tough competition, I think.
1: Right. Very different personalities. Very different types of powers. Um, yeah. Very different, just visually. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot being added to the team by those new characters at this point in time.
0: Well, I think people agreed with us because Vision got 63% of the votes. Black Panther and Black Knight tied for 14% of the votes, and then Hercules came in at last place with 9% of the votes. So uh,
1: I, I don't, I understand that because Black Panther is also awesome, and you know Black Knight's really. Cool. To it. But but Hercules is truly charming in these issues. He's hilarious. I, <laughs> yeah. I really I, and especially and those issues of of John Buscema inking himself drawing Hercules, um, you know, battling in Olympus and against you know the villainous demigods and titans and stuff. Those are incredible issues. So I feel a little bad that he came in last. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I understand why. <laughs> he he doesn't get a whole lot of love just in general. I think. So, yeah. yeah. And it's you know I think also people who are not necessarily you know reading every issue of Avengers. He's just he's a strong dude and he's hercules everyone knows what what a hercules is so (laughs) right uh, you know his it's harder to to sell him as a character i think
0: okay let's move over to our issues we're gonna start with issue number 51 and this issue is called "In the Clutches of the Collector." The Collector, for some reason, hypnotizes Thor and gets Thor uh, gets Thor to help him collect the rest of the Avengers. He uses them as as, a, as bait, I guess, to lure the Avengers um, into his trap. Oh, well, he also just kind of kidnaps the Wasp. Just kind of plucks her out of the sky, and a couple of the Avengers yep. go along with her. So there's a there's a um, a few things going on. From uh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I've got that wrong. He, the Collector collects the Avengers and then Thor's there to just kind of keep him in line. I'm actually not sure why Thor's there. Uh, he's,
1: he's, I think he's just kind of the start of his collection and he's keeping him around and hypnotized. And, you know, he kinda, I think he helps out. Does he help out a little bit? I feel like he does.
0: Toward the end, I mean, he something. has a battle with Iron Man. Um, uh, this is just yes, kind of like... Yep. Uh, an issue to bring back a couple of the old guys because we haven't seen them in a while to remind us that they're still Avengers.
1: Yes. <laughs> and I read that, so I had, that Reuters had been repeatedly asking Stanley if he could bring back Thor and, and Iron Man because he really liked those characters, and Stanley just kept saying no. And according to the, the note I found, he just did this in this issue without asking, and Stanley either noticed and didn't say anything or didn't notice. So <laughs> he would continue just to add the characters in without asking, and it, it seemed to go well for him
0: as long as they weren't regular like at the end of each time that they visit they're like okay see you guys later we're not actually sticking around then you know it probably is okay with stan (laughs) but yeah
1: i thought this uh that this issue was an improvement over the collector's first appearance in avengers 28 yeah um I like that issue. That was fine, but here, uh, John Buchanan's art really sells the fact that collector is surrounded by all this. He's like a real weird dude, and he's surrounded by like creatures and monsters and like this, you know, this vegetable thing. What does he call it? Um, this like uh, retriever new Venu- uh, Venusian retriever anenome, so this like plant and crabs and snares the Avengers. Um, just weird like heads and like shrunken heads hanging from the ceiling, lizards from other planets. Like he, he is a very good, like, uh, he can just pull whatever device he needs out of anywhere Um, and throw it at the Avengers, which makes him kind of a formidable foe.
0: Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I know that we just kind of read these issues just recently, but I don't remember. Um, Did the Collector, was the
1: Collector a space alien, like an alien race in the previous? I don't think so, no. In the previous issue, at the end of it, so he had like a time machine, I think, where he could jump out of time or basically like another dimension or something like that. Right. But it did not indicate that he would, so he is in um, kind of modern continuity. He goes on to become an elder of the universe which yep. are these like the, the last surviving member of this ancient species um, that, that's still around he is not that he was not that in the previous issue and he's is not that in this issue yet so he's become more mysterious and seemingly more powerful in this issue um, but not uh, not the level of elder of the universe Yeah,
0: but he does have a space craft in this one like right so this is definitely a step up and and I feel like the last issue dealt with the way we, we saw more artifacts and that kind of stuff, but they are all kind of based in in human history. Yes, whereas this yeah, is it definitely like he had more. He just alien. traveled
1: throughout time and grabbed like cool like weapons. Or yeah,
0: exactly. Like
1: but but here it has kind of a otherworldly, inter- like interplanetary um, bent to it um, that makes it a little more interesting, in my opinion.
0: Now this one is also it, it plays an important role for for Goliath as he is now um, he's been he can now sh- he can now grow at the end of this issue thanks to something that of the collectors no actually something that Iron Man builds right what does he call it the stimulator yeah,
1: so yes. <laughs> yes
0: Iron Man um, builds this and- thing and now Goliath can grow to be 25 up to 25 feet for only 15 right. minutes
1: right so we're back with that limitation um, although I don't think in the rest of the issues in that epic collection, the 15 minute limitation. Was no, I can't remember. <laughs> he he but... <laughs> stays big
0: pretty much the entire time. They, they don't pay attention to that at all.
1: Right, right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, overall, I thought this was, it was fun to see Thor and Iron Man back, even if Thor was kind of, um, a hypnotized, uh, you know, on the, on the side of the villains for most of the issue, but it was, it was nice to see those characters back. Um, although they did spend a lot of the time just battling each other. Um, and it would have been nice to see them interact a little bit more with, the, um, the kind of current team of Avengers we have here, although there is some of that. Uh, we also kind of get caught up on what Captain America and Black Panther are up to. Um, we see them battling, and then uh, at the end of the issue, a Captain America suggests that Black Panther be his replacement in the Avengers. So that's a cool, cool development as well.
0: Yeah, that spins out of a story that starts in uh, Tales of um, Tales of Suspense number 96, mm-hmm. and so they, yeah, Captain America and Black Panther have a little adventure there and we can get a little glimpse of what's happening to them, which is why Captain America is not on the team at this point of the the story. I was surprised at how often the, the roster changes through these you know 50
1: issues right here so it's like constantly people are coming and going yeah it's it rarely static for more than just a few issues at a time um, which I personally really like but uh, but yeah it, it changes up rapidly uh, one note on the art that I thought was interesting so in the back matter of this epic collection yep. um, it's um, one, two, three, four, five, six pages from the end of the book um, so kind of in the middle of the back matter there is a there is a page and it says the caption says learning from a Master working over John Bushema's original blue pencil layout, an unknown bullpen member tried their hand at finished pencils on Avengers 51, page 8. So, um, you know, which is in this issue we so there's some um there's some pencil work over this that's that's not from anybody who's in this issue but you do see some of the remaining blue line work yeah i um i was surprised especially in that top panel you can see the characters that are kind of trapped so it's um you know goliath hawkeye and wasp trapped in those windows there's very little detail Yeah. yeah yeah and I don't know, it could just be that that was a layout. Maybe it got approved and then passed on to somebody else. Um, maybe John did tighter pencils over that. But it is a possibility that that was the level of detail he was doing in his pencils. Uh, and then um, George Tusca did a lot of the other work. And, and that that is just one example. Um, the collector face in the bottom left-hand corner is much more detailed. And the, the pencils of whoever did that are much closer to the final product we see. So I'm guessing that he might have just picked and chose his spots um in terms of how detailed he is but a real lack of detail in that top panel i was surprised to see
0: that is very surprising i would have expected it to look more like the shrunken heads in that uh in that second panel
1: right because he did put a lot
0: more detail into those
1: yeah, and if you look at the final versions, it does kind of look pretty Tuska-y um, in the in the faces. They don't look particularly like John Buscema faces. Um, but I, again, there's no detail on the the technology there either, so I'm not sure what the story is. I just thought it was an interesting kind of little artifact.
0: But that collector face in the first panel in the in the final work is definitely John Buscema. Right. Uh, but if you look at the the bonus pe- feature that that face, whoever drew that one doesn't look at all like John Buscema. So. I think that maybe this blue line wasn't finished. I bet you yeah. that John tightened it up even more before
1: he passed it on to the ink to uh, Tuska. That would be my guess too. Yeah, I think that would be a little uh, unusual to pass on. That, I think that would just be layouts. I don't think that would be credited as pencils if that was all he was doing.
0: Right. Oh, for sure. So. But what yep. a test to be able to to see if if uh, somebody could do that is just give them give them layouts. <laughs> hey, just uh, draw this pencil this and see wh- how it how it turns out. And like right. obviously. That person was not strong
1: enough. It it was pretty weak. It doesn't look complicated even. Yeah. Yep. But that would be a lot of pressure having to pencil over (laughs) big John's layouts there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's all I had on this issue, though.
0: Okay. Well, we can now go over to uh,
1: issue number 52. Yeah. Um, so issue number 52 uh, the title of the issue is Death Calls for the Arch Heroes Uh, on the front cover it it says the Grim Reaper the man who killed the Avengers and you see um, Hawkeye and Wasp and Goliath lying there on the ground Black Panther jumping dramatically at the Grim Reaper and the Grim Reaper in the foreground with uh, a very ugly costume (laughs) Um, I noticed I forgot how bad the color palette was on that costume (laughs) I think that's the only time it's that bad the costume design itself is 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 not terrible, um, but his costume is red and green and blue and purple. Uh, and not in kind of very complimentary ways. So well, I, I feel yeah. bad for whoever's doing the background colors on, on, on these issues. because <laughs> It's hard to find something that's not already on the page. He
0: has, um, he looks like a pirate. They're definitely playing up the pirate aspect of like his hand right. with the hook on it. But like with yep. the cape and with the huge boots that are even bigger than Captain America's pirate boots. And it's right. just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I It's it's a definitely a first attempt and I'm glad they've changed him up since then to make him look a little bit more menacing
1: right it's definitely tightened up a little bit more since then so in this issue uh, black panther travels to the avengers mansion um and ends up getting set up for the murder of the avengers so he, he they think he is the one who murdered the avengers um and then you know obviously we have the introduction of the grim reaper who would go on to be a very important character in avengers history um and so we kind of run through a little bit of the um the history of the team uh, and wonder man in particular who's the uh, brother of the grim reaper um simon williams run wonder man uh and then we get to kind of see uh, the capabilities of Black Panther I think that was one really cool thing this issue did is it gave us there was a lot of um, kind of uh, internal monologuing by Black Panther we get to hear a lot of his thoughts uh, and we kind of really get to know what this guy's capable of in this issue so that makes it a good introduction in my mind uh, of the character for Avengers readers
0: Uh, yeah and I think that's important for an introductory issue because if people have not been following Fantastic Four and they have not been following Mm -hmm. Tales of Suspense we do need to know Mm -hmm. about this guy and who who he is so and it's yep. um, a lot of it is also revealed just through the talking yeah, with the scene with Jasper Sitwell, the shield agent. Yeah, um, yeah. Because they they give us a lot of information about Wakanda and T'Challa's role and all of that. Right. So that's that's cool. And you
1: also kind of get just an idea of his character when he's kind of surrounded and captured. A lot of superheroes would just kind of freak out or fight back immediately, and he just kind of goes the flow and like allows himself to kind of get taken in. Um, and is pretty silent actually. So he's he's a very uh, thoughtful individual uh, so uh,
0: i was going to make that same point because in the last issue we saw thor attack iron man and iron man's first instinct was something must be wrong here this can't be right but he decides to fight back anyway he could have given up because thor is just saying you have to come with me iron man could have given up and said okay let's just see where he's taking me because that's essentially Mm -hmm. what happens with black panther here but that's the difference between black panther and pretty much every other hero uh, we continue to see uh, many more bigger panels in here uh, bigger panels featuring less dialogue so when we get to the point when uh, Grim Reaper and Panther are fighting uh, mm-hmm. yes there is banter back and forth but it's not the same sort of banter as you would see uh, in a Stanley issue
1: right yeah I thought that in and speaking of that fight I thought that was a great fight so in yes. on page 305 um, I thought that was a great introduction to the fight and that's a really crazy angle to draw so Black Panther is like hiding in the ceiling and dropping out of the (laughs) ceiling down onto the Grim Reaper. And the camera angle that Bushama chooses is from the perspective of above Black Panther in this like trap door in the ceiling looking down on Black Panther and then even further down on Grim Reaper with all this technology around it. And then he dives very convincingly onto Grim Reaper from above and then the next page just the next couple pages just this really dramatic sequence of events. I thought that was a really compelling sequence there. Uh, And then even the page after that 308 of the epic Collection. The top left panel is a very John Buscema face. Like that is a, like this sneering villain with dramatic lighting, and you can kind of see him from the side with his eye darting back. It's a very classic looking John Buscema panel.
0: And he does some cool things here, like on 308, um, where he where Grim Reaper is going to fall on his own blade. Mm-hmm. Um, the the just the yes. with the hand reaching up with the, right, silhouette the silhouette in the background,
1: which is a very like uh, cinematic touch. You would see that a lot to avoid the uh, you know the, the same thing like uh, you know. Uh, code of the time morality code and stuff where they would anything that was considered too violent um you know if the character was shot or stabbed or something like that it would happen in in a silhouette shadow exactly wasn't as graphic
0: you think about like uh, Psycho with the right. scene where Norman Bates stabs the girl in the shower and mm-hmm. it's just all you see is kind of the trickle of of the of black liquor going down the drain and the shower curtain pulling off and that's about it. Um, right. But it's very effective like it works really really well and it's a creative way to give it a, a lot of drama.
1: Right and and just the and, and also the way that Busema like portrays depth and action is really spectacular. A, a lot of artists um, you know would, would start from the point of, of a Ditko or even early on in Dusseman's run he seemed like because he was following up on Heck it almost seemed like there was some continuity off of what Heck was doing. There'd be more like mid shots and you know a lot more characters per panel but here he's inventing kind of his own visual language so you know on page 307 he has the technology in the foreground so you kind of get this dramatic sense that you're looking down on a battle. Um, on page 309 the bottom right hand corner you have which is a really impressive angle to be able to pull off Black Panther crashing through with just tiny little bits we see of Hawkeye and Goliath lying there. The big action crack um, kind of sound right. effect below them. It's, it's a really effective panel, I thought. Um, the, the one other note I had about this issue is on page 2, going back to 298, you have uh, all the other Avengers kind of around the world, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, reacting to the news that the active Avengers are dead. And it, you're starting to develop this kind of um, worldwide community of Avengers uh, who, who are always kind of perpetually Avengers, even if they're not active. And that obviously is expanded on later um, throughout the years as the Avengers roster builds it's this kind of global community of characters that the writers can, and artists can just pull into the story at any given moment so it, it builds up the sense that this is a um, there's a, the dynastic element to the Avengers that's really interesting mm-hmm. uh,
0: I, I like this issue just from a historical standpoint because Grim Reaper is so tied to Simon Williams and Simon Williams is so tied to just Avengers with everything Like there's just so much history with that right. family and uh, so it was kind of is cool to see that this character shows up at this point. And also, like, it wasn't a mystery. I, I feel like this could have been something. The fact that he was Simon Williams, brother, uh, could have been something that they would reckon later. Right. But no, right off the bat, they always had in mind that, you know, this guy was his, his whole reason for being a supervillain is to get revenge on his brother, who was actually right. not not great of a guy. Right, uh, yeah. Especially in Simon Williams' eyes, he didn't even know that his brother had redeemed himself at the end of this mm-hmm. before he died. He, yeah, he, so yeah.
1: it's just kind of a, you know, kind of familial like, uh, he's my brother, so I don't care, I'm just going to take vengeance on him. And, yeah. and and you're right, it does, Ray Thomas is excellent at continuity and we'll see that as his run continues and this is a very Roy Thomas touch to you know refer back to something that happened in Avengers issue 9 so you know years before this and it's, it is you're right that starting to expand that Avengers family tree of you know Grim Reaper and Wonder Man are brothers and Wonder Man um, you know is the kind of in a way brother of Vision we'll get into all that with the brain pattern Scarlet Witch obviously becomes involved when she marries into the family Ultron is also in the family it's The whole the whole thing um,
0: 10, well and Hank Pym um, and yeah. yeah and
1: Hank Pym and the Wasp and, <laughs> he's, yeah, in, he's so involved every, it's this insane I think it was in the um, I think it's a cover to the Tom King uh, and Walta Vision series 12 um, issue series I think one of the covers is like a family tree uh, and it's oh, a yeah. very confusing family tree but it's, <laughs> there's so many characters that are uh, interlocked and have very kind of natural uh, motivations for either hating or loving each other and Yeah, it, it's one of the reasons I love the Avengers as a franchise
0: so next up in our episode, we have a two-part crossover, and this is something that doesn't happen a whole lot in these early days of Marvel. This is X-Men crossing over with Avengers, and so I am bringing in a special guest for these next two issues. Uh, we have my X-Men co-host, Jared. Hi, Jared. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Curtis. Hi, Chris.
1: Hey. hey. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on to talk.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: We have uh, these two issues here, and if you're reading only X-Men or you're reading only Avengers, you're not really getting the whole story. Uh, this The Avengers story with Magneto actually starts um, way back in, X, uh, in Avengers number 48, going through number uh, 48, no, 47, 47, 48, and 49, and then it skips over to X-Men, and the Magneto story continues for X-Men number 43 and 44, and now we're back with X-Men 49, and then it continues in X-Men 54. It's like an actual like um, eight-issue story arc for Magneto, uh, but we're only going to be talking about these two issues together. Yep. So why don't we start off. Uh, Jared, can you give us a, a recap of X-Men number 45?
2: Sure. The issue you know picks up from the, the previous issue where everyone's captured except for Angel. Starts off with uh, Cyclops escaping from his bondages And uh, searching Magneto's lair for the other X-Men He comes across Quicksilver and they, they have a fight But during the fight they, they s- stop And Quicksilver kind of tries to tempt him into the the, the dark side, let's say <laughs> <laughs> Tempt him to join Magneto at, at the end, he and Cyclops fight, and Cyclops knocks Quicksilver out, and uh, then the Avengers show up.
0: I was actually surprised that this there wasn't actually a whole lot to this issue. No, not not at all.
1: There's not a whole lot of resolution in this issue. Um, it seems like I, I, there's, I mean, even just the sequence of Cyclops escaping takes about one, two, three, four pages. And when, I mean, and this this story is only, um, what, like 15 pages? So a third of the issue basically is just Cyclops breaking out. So that that eats up a lot of your storytelling potential just right off the bat there too.
0: Yeah, and then another couple of pages is dedicated to uh, basically just talking heads and i did like the conversation that they had um and this is if you read it and think about you know the future of the x-men a lot of the concepts of the just a mutant utopia um Mm -hmm. are really being discussed right here And, and cyclops is thinking about this kind of stuff kind of for the first time uh Thinking about Magneto's island of, that he's trying to create, Krakoa, no, not Krakoa, but it, um, just the island that will be a safe refuge for all of mutants. Uh, and Cyclops says that he doesn't really want to have anything to do with it. He likes the idea, but if Magneto's involved, he is never going to be uh, a part of it.
2: Right. Yeah, that, that will change eventually. <laughs> but... Yes, it certainly <laughs> will. <laughs>
1: yeah and that is a you know and, and it's a very fair point for right now and even in a, a previous issue an issue or two before this Quicksilver was watching Magneto like torture toad and he was like he's going a little far with all this I think he was like throwing him off in the air or something like that so yeah. even Quicksilver yeah. kind of recognizes that I, I just kind of wish that Magneto would be a little more nuanced in his portrayal here um because it's it's not a difficult argument to say that, well, he's Magneto, though, so we shouldn't go along with this idea. If he was even just slightly less evil and just more maybe militant or hard-lined, it would be a position Quicksilver, uh, that could be defensible by Quicksilver, but here it's really not because Magneto's so cruel.
0: Well, and that's why Cyclops will eventually go over to Magneto's side anyway, because mm-hmm. he is that more nuanced character, because his arguments make sense. And yeah. and yeah, it's so hard to read Magneto back in these days because he's such a different character. <laughs> he is just the over-the-top villain like all villains are in the 60s. It, yeah,
2: yeah that, there's a, that one scene in this this issue where uh, Toad comes to tell him that Cyclops escaped. And Magneto is just so, so mean to Toad for, for no reason.
1: Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> no yeah.
2: reason at all. Yeah, it's 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 kind of ridiculous, but yeah. yeah, but you know, like you said, there's no, no nuance, no, uh, I mean, he's, he can't be anything other than a villain here. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm reminded of there was the, I think in the eighties, late eighties, I think it was the X-Men Avengers miniseries crossover. Right. Um, that Roger Stern's he, I think he wrote the first three out of the four issues and Roger Stern is like a, like a hardcore continuity guy. And th- I think it was Jim Shooter. I could get that. I could be wrong on that. But whoever the editor in chief was wanted at the end Magneto to have like a redemption story and to kind of join the fold of the X Men. And Roger Stern wouldn't write the last issue, or at least like there was such a dispute he didn't end up writing it because he was like, "No, Magneto's clearly evil. Like, look at old issues." <laughs> and, like this, I'm sure, is something he was referring to. Right. Because this is a yeah. very strong case against that. Yeah, it's true
0: yeah that's that's such an interesting thing to think about just the progression of how magneto has been written over the years and the 80s was a time when they good guys were becoming bad and bad guys were becoming good like and the 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 line between good and evil was definitely blurred and we saw characters like Mm -hmm. the punisher come up and like that's where we get the the interesting stories is like we have people who are obviously on the same side. And in this case, it's Xavier and Magneto. And the difference between the two of them becomes smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes on to the point where now, if you're reading the current The House of X kind of storyline, they are literally buddies working together and they have the same goal. And I know there are spoilers in there, so you know not everything is as it seems exactly, but um but they are pretty much the same whereas if you go back to the 60s now you can't be more different and this was the case with
1: all superheroes and supervillains, i think right also right. when you call your team the masters of evil it's kind of the brotherhood of evil mutants oh, sorry the brotherhood Brother- <laughs> of evil mutants i'm getting confused with the avengers but <laughs> either way they're yeah. not they're not hiding the, <laughs> their intention yeah yeah
2: yeah but you know what what you're saying um Good characters become bad, and vice versa. Uh, that's sort of happening here with with Quicksilver, in mm-hmm. a way. That's you know? true.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's a good point because he he's been a, a little bit. Well, he, I mean he started off bad, and then he but not really bad, I guess.
2: Yeah, not not really.
0: But then he was good. But but for him, I guess it's like. I guess I didn't, when when he started to talk this way, I wasn't like, this is out of character for Quicksilver. I could see that progression because he's already been on that side. So he already knows what that side is capable of and he's willingly going back to it. It wasn't as much of a shock as say, if Cyclops were to turn right now.
2: (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, that that comes later. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and Quicksilver has the
1: backstory of, that that readers are well familiar with of, you know, his like traumatic childhood and his kind of understandable resentment towards mankind. Um, And that built in the Avengers issues that led up to this where, you know, he would save humans and then they would say, Oh, look at that freakish mutant guy. There was, there was, so there was things that kind of added to his feelings. We
0: also know of his ego and his temper as well. And that, that (laughs) makes it a little bit easier to swallow here also. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, what did you both think about the uh, art in this issue?
0: Uh, I I thought it was fine. There's uh, there's nothing too terrible or anything. It's interesting to see because it's Don Heck's layouts, so it's something that if you're reading Avengers a lot, you're familiar with. But then it's also mm-hmm. Werner Roth's uh, pencils, which he's right. been a uh, the X Men penciler for quite some time. So it's yeah. like a perfect union between Avengers and X Men. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The art is uh pretty good I think uh with the exception of one panel that really stood out to me. Um
1: I think I have the same one in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> the,
2: yeah, the the bottom panel of uh page 322. <laughs> yep. Yep. <Yeah>. Oh, with the <laughs> huge
0: fist. Yeah, that's page 10 yeah. in this issue with the Yeah, what is with that foreshortening
1: <laughs> there? <laughs> my guess is that And I noticed this because I've been reading through the old um, like uh, shield comics, like the uh, the pre Stranko stuff. Yeah. And sometimes I think when you have a layout person and then a penciler and then an inker the like lines of who's responsible for what get very blurred. So I would guess that heck just said like big, like he was basically in whatever sketch he sketched out was probably saying like foreshortening on the fist. And then the penciler was maybe like, this doesn't make any sense, but okay. And then the inker is like, well, I'm not going to fix it now. And it just kind of spiraled at no point. Did somebody like get the perspective quite right? And they just kept it rolling. That's my guess at least. Um, Yeah. Because in those shield issues, you'd see similar things where it's three artists responsible, and you know all of their styles, but somehow together, like it doesn't—it doesn't look like any of them. And that kind of happens in some of these panels. Yeah,
0: I think overall, I like this artwork better than what's normally seen in X Men, uh, because I, I'm not a huge fan of Werner Roth in general. I find him to be a little bit stiff, uh, especially mm-hmm. when you compare him against kirby who started x-men and then also like don heck is, is really good compared to Werner roth as well so uh to have Werner going over um don heck's layouts it just gives it a little bit more of a dynamic edge
1: yeah and heck has a lot of experience with like really clear uh plots and team books he had that experience from the avengers prior to this and i think he brings that here so yep so yeah. sometimes his poses aren't always the most dynamic things in the world but it's always his storytelling chops are, are really good most of the time I think mm-hmm. um, I really liked that escape uh, sequence with Cyclops the on page oh, 14 yeah. of the Epic Collection where he's like d- using his his optic blast to destroy the the kind of confine I I just thought that was a really cool page
2: mm-hmm. yeah with the the you can see the power like just coming through the uh, metal yeah, blindfold yeah <laughs> yeah that's until it
1: explodes and, yeah and then frees and everything too yeah I thought that was a cool sequence. Yeah.
0: And then there's the sequence where he knocks out Quicksilver toward the end of this issue as well. And I kind of see I feel like he's um he doesn't act very responsibly here. He usually wouldn't do this kind of thing, but he's uh he takes a punch to the head. Like Quicksilver punches him and he's like, "Oh, I I'm, I'm blacking out. I better just um blindly fire into nothing to just to hope that I get lucky Quicksilver." <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, That's- and and apparently it's a ricochet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right yeah right <laughs> that's kind of yeah weird. that is one thing i didn't quite understand what kind of injury he had to his eyes i forgot about that and i don't know if that's just the scripting on top of the pencils not quite delivering um clarity because i thought based on on 324 he like broke his visor or something is almost what it looks like um right. but then he just says like something happened to his eyes but he still has the visor intact over them so I don't know if Quicksilver like reached under his visor and poked him in the eye or what exactly happened, but that was a little bit sloppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But other than that, but at overall, the very end, fun issue.
1: Yeah, it, it was a fun issue.
0: And the absence of the Avengers, if you're reading this in the Avengers epic collection, rather than in the X-Men epic collection, um, the, the absence of the Avengers doesn't get felt because Quicksilver and, and Scarlet witch are here and they are familiar mm-hmm. characters to us. So it actually fits really, really nicely. And even with Don Heck's artwork, uh, it flows together really well. Right. Um, if you are reading this in the X-Men Epic Collection, there is a there's a bonus feature at the back of the book, which I don't know why they didn't include this in the Avengers Epic Collection. Uh, it says here, when the 1970s Avengers reprint title Marvel Triple Action came to the X-Men Avengers crossover, three new pages were drawn for X-Men 45. To bring the story up to Marvel Triple Action's regular eighteen-story page length, and okay. oh, I mean, I guess they didn't include it because it, it was there were extra pages for the X-Men story, but it's basically um, a big recap for what was happening in Avengers and in X-Men, kind of all together. So we got some stuff with the Grim Reaper, and we got stories with Red Raven, uh, all kind of mixed up into into the pages altogether but just to bring people up to speed, I guess, or something. So that's kind of cool. They don't credit who the artist is on that, though. Well, anyway, let's move over to Avengers number 53. Chris, you want to take us through this one?
1: Sure. So in Avengers number 53, in Battle Joined, uh, Angel travels. uh, he, He has escaped from Magneto's island compound, travels, to the Avengers' mansion, um, where he is kind of entrapped in all of the Avengers' new security features. He, warn- he informs the Avengers um, that he knows where Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are, and the Avengers travel with Angel um, to storm the island fortress of Magneto. They end up locked in battle with the X-Men, and uh, you see some more of Magneto's cruelty in this issue and the consequences of that continued cruelty um, by the end of the issue. Um, and then this issue is um, is a Roy Thomas written issue, so this is a continuation of the Roy Thomas run of Avengers issues. John Buscema is uh, on again as penciler, uh, and then George Tuska as the inker um, over top of this.
0: And it it was surprising to get George Tuska. I think he he lets John Buscema. His, uh, his style through, because usually George, I find, uh, puts a lot of his own influence into the pencils, but you can clearly see that this is still John Buscema.
1: Right. You still see definitely notes of that. He has, he, you know, he's still on the outlines of the figures is always where I can notice Tuska because he has those really thick outlines right. um around the the kind of silhouettes of characters um and everything looks a little bit there's more golden age touches it looks a little like a little pop arty almost mm-hmm. um because he doesn't have a very uh, a lot of times delicate line but you definitely you're right you definitely see the the facial expressions that are uh, typical of a Bushama comic come through more and you know even just the more intricate line work uh, does uh, is more visible here than in previous tusca efforts and overall, I, I really enjoy this issue. I love that cover of the the Avengers kind of crashing together against the X-Men. So there's a couple of plot things in this issue that I thought were a little odd. Um, so the... Um, the let, me, let me see if I can run through all these. So there's a device, a tracking device planted in Angel's wings that the Avengers discover and then realize that... and then think he was... A spy for yeah. Magneto or something like that. Right. But then, really, they knew that that wasn't true, and just acted like it was true because Wasp whispered the truth in their ears or something, and then they acted like they were arguing with each other to trick Magneto into attacking them. So it, it gets a little, it gets a little complicated. <laughs> um. <laughs> I,
0: I liked the yeah. reveal. I liked that reveal at the end where it was like, oh, surprise! Things are not as as it seems, and. Then they can go back yeah. and talk about how everything was a ruse, and then you, you can go back and reread the issue with that now in mind and see where where things <laughs> yeah. were. And that's like I, I like that kind of storytelling. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah. I just had to, I was like, I, it took me a second to have to, to rethink through it again. But yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. I also thought it was kind of almost a meta joke because the Avengers started fighting each other and in the Avengers leading up to this issue, they fight constantly to the point that it becomes really annoying as a reader. Right. And so here they are like, like we were just fighting to trick you. <laughs> so it's the one time they're not intentionally bickering with each other. Essentially. So that was a nice touch yeah. as well. Yeah. I thought it was a little odd how they colored Black Panther's costume in this. Normally, the kind of light areas of his costume are marked with like a blue or gray accent. And here they just left those white. I mean, it's, I mean it certainly is not you know, terrible. It doesn't make the issue unreadable or anything. But it was just an odd touch that kind of stood out to me in this issue.
0: Yeah, they are playing. If you're reading Avengers, kind of all of the Avengers issues, they're playing with his costume and the way they want to do it uh, over the next few mm-hmm. issues because he's just joined the team now. And And this is
2: the previous issue, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is kind of his first outing. And so I think the artists are still trying to figure out exactly what they want to do. So in the next issue, even, they they give him a mask over his mouth, like, to further change Mm -hmm. kind of what's going on here. Uh, But it does stand out because it's stark white. So the contrast comparing, like, he just looks flat compared to all of the other characters because there's no color. It looks unfinished.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep um i overall though i think the art is really solid the the panel that stuck out to stuck out to me the most is on page 333 of the epic collection that bottom right panel of angel's face just really dramatic close-up with the nice choice on the red black ground. it's just all these bright primary colors his you know yellow hair blue mask i thought that was a cool panel um just very very pop art yeah
0: that's on page yeah. 473 of the x-men epic yeah yes yep yeah. Oh, another note about the Panther that I wanted to to talk about is that he he's really he really notices small details. And so while people like Hawkeye and Goliath, they just kind of go in guns blazing and just start fighting. Panther noticed right away. If you look at page two of this issue, mm-hmm. he he attacks Cyclops right away, and he says he has control studs in the palm of his hands as well as on his mask. I saw him clench a fist a certain way to open his visor. And like none of the other Avengers would have noticed that, none of them. And that's one of the things yeah. that it sets the Black Panther apart from all of the other people uh, on the Avengers at this point. It's it's c- right. kind of a cool little detail.
1: And it plays with the theme that they keep kind of talking about of he's in a way Cap's replacement, Captain America's replacement on the team. Yeah, and that's also something like Captain America would do. He was he was such a good kind of field commander. Um, and he would he would think through problems really well and think of strategies on the fly, and so that's another way that Black Panther is kind of filling that Captain America role, um, even right away on this team.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The the ending was very satisfying, um, you know, if a you know if a little a little grim with Magneto <laughs> crashing to his death on you know a seeming death on the rocks. Um, but right. <laughs> but Toad um, stomped on Magneto's hand um, to send him careening uh, out of this plane uh, because he was tired of uh, tired essentially of being bullied constantly by uh, by Magneto, which Magneto had coming for a long, a long time.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's kind of a a coda to to Toad's story here. Because if you think about the last time we had a Magneto arc, which was the Stranger story in one of the earlier X-Men issues, uh, the Stranger takes Magneto, like draws him up into outer space, and Toad doesn't have to go with Magneto, but he does. He grabs onto his ankle and goes, wait for me, and gets dragged into outer space as well. This is the complete opposite here. Now Toad uh, takes a stand, has a backbone, and leaves Magneto behind saves himself only. So it's very, very different uh, and a counter to what we saw before. But I feel like this is good character development for Toad, who I think doesn't usually get character development at all.
1: Yeah. yeah. And following up on that point of kind of building off of previous storylines, do, do you think that this issue flows nicely if, you, if you're reading X-Men and then going into this issue? Does it does everything make sense? Does it flow nicely as an X-Men reader? Um, Yeah, I think
0: it does. Yeah, because if you read the two issues leading up to this, it sets up uh, because we see the relationship with Toad and with Magneto and and we get further development with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch with with Magneto, which is interesting that they didn't include that part in the Avengers epic because there's actually some pretty interesting things there, including a scene where Quicksilver flies uh, using kicking by kicking his (laughs) feet. Which is something that is introduced in Avengers, but he never, ever does in the Avengers.
1: (laughs) Yes, it was like an unfulfilled Chekhov's gun thing, where he was just like, I have the power of flight, and then it didn't really talk about it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but yeah, then he he does it for, (laughs) what, like two panels, I think? Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly.
2: Yeah, and then Angel gets away, but...
0: What I didn't like about this issue is that there's really no resolution to the story in terms of the X-Men versus Avengers. Uh, we get, because the, the very last page of the story, Magneto falls seemingly to his death. The whole island blows up, mm. but we don't find out anything about what happens with the Avengers d- to what happens with Pietro and Wanda. Um Yeah. And we don't find anything with the X Men. Is Cyclops okay? We don't know. Like, it's yeah. just yeah. yeah. We we have no idea. They just end the issue, and it's like, see you next time, guys.
1: <laughs> yep, and yeah. yeah, and the next Avengers issue following this is a, a very big departure from the story. It's the Masters of Evil. story. Yeah,
0: it's, it's it start big, and yeah. same with X Men. It just kind of starts fresh. It starts all over again, and so mm-hmm. yeah, it's a. Um, it was an odd choice to end, and I wonder if. I don't know. They just either ran out of space or didn't have a very adequate ending. Or maybe it's just the fact that this is just the 1960s and sometimes they just end stories like that. We're so used to our story where you get follow up, you get conclusions, you get an epilogue or something to, to wrap everything up, but maybe you don't need that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that this issue also is kind of a very early version of when there's, when there's a writer within Marvel comics, they very frequently like their titles to kind of cross over, um, back and forth some um so i and let's see here is wait is was the x-men issue written by
2: uh, roy thomas or was yes, that, it was oh yeah so it's
0: not the x-men issue okay. was gary friedrich
2: okay
1: we'll scratch all that then
2: oh wait never mind yeah <laughs> but it was um i i think it was roy thomas who did the the previous
1: that's right he did yeah too. he did so this was probably
0: yeah, a, still right, a roy definitely. thomas pr- plot yeah
2: yes yep
1: um, and then, yeah, so, so yeah, and he referenced, I think those issues he was writing, um, yeah. in the earlier Avengers issues, at least in the like, kind of, uh, kind of editor's notes or things like that. Um, yeah. it, because you'll see that throughout Marvel Comics history where, you know, whatever Steve Eaglehardt's writing, he'll cross over with all his other books, you know, same thing. With, right. You know, even modern days, Rick Remender's yeah. books will all cross over things like that. So, yeah. um, I like when the Marvel universe kind of crashes together because of whoever the writers of those books happen to be.
2: Right. Interesting <laughs> to me. So, uh, I, I was kind of wondering, reading this, is this the, the first, like, uh, direct crossover in, in Marvel Comics? You know?
1: Hmm. Um,
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the, I, I don't know what you count as a crossover. I mean, the Hulk, like, where the story actually continues in a different title
2: yeah but i i mean like the x-men issue it ends on a cliffhanger which is picked up in the avengers yeah yeah so i mean that's sort of different than the hulk just kind of
0: appearing jumping
2: between Yeah. yeah
0: I don't know if this is the first issue or not. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. That is a really good
1: point because you, I mean you'll have things obviously guest appearances happen all the time. You know with right right issue, yeah. you know Spider Man, Fantastic Four. But that's a that's a really good point. This is like a direct. This story itself continues directly in this issue.
0: In a different book, um, and so if like if your local corner store didn't stock Avengers, you'd be stuck. You wouldn't be able to find out the end to the story.
2: Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You pick up X Men forty six and be like, "Hey, and it's what all done." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know if this was the if this was the first time because I know like early Spider Man never crossed over Fantastic Four. Right. I don't think they crossed over either uh, until way later. Um, this, yeah, yeah. This might be the first case.
2: Right. It, it seems like it's the the earliest one I can think of, at least. <laughs> yeah. But yeah.
0: Well, I wonder if like that I mean, that might be intentional as well, because at this point, I'm sure they were looking at the X-Men numbers and noticing they were not flying. I mean, this is this is getting close to the end of the X-Men before they got canceled. So it could be that they were like, what can we do to bolster the, the, the sales a little bit? right let's have an avengers crossover and even better than that let's actually have the story continue in avengers so that the avengers fans will have to go, go and buy some x-men issues to f- see the first part of the story
1: so i i did a little bit of googling oh yeah and <laughs> and, and i i cannot verify this because i've not done a lot of research but um This says that Tales of Suspense 80 continued directly into Tales of Tales to Astonish 82. And there was a note at the end of the issue that said, so spectacular is this epic battle that Mighty Marvel is presenting it in two different magazines. So for the (laughs) dazzling conclusion of this smashing saga, don't dare miss Astonish 82 on sale now. Oh, and what was the first part? The first first one was the Iron Man part of Tales of Suspense 80, and then in Tales to Astonish 82. Yeah. uh, And the (laughs) the Submariner's part. Submariner,
0: movie. okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, a Submariner shows up. Uh, Iron Man's in the submarine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I I I do know that one, and I think it's hard to keep track of you know which comes first in this era.
2: <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah, that was months, in
1: sixty six, and I think this might have been like 67, 67, 68 something yeah. like that. So it's
2: all very yeah. close, but sure. Okay.
0: Nice. Cool. Well, do you, yeah. either of you have any uh, comments about either of these two issues before we move on?
2: Um I have to have to say that uh Beast's costume and Giant-Man, it almost seems like they have pretty much the same costume
0: in some ways.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kind of <laughs> inverted almost like on the on the shirt a little bit.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're very similar, though. But yeah, I, I I just thought that was kind of funny.
0: Yeah, you really noticed that on the front cover with because the, their backs, both of their backs are to the to the viewer. Yes, <laughs> you can see that for sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh,
1: the only other note I have is I am very happy that the corner box in Avengers fifty three is finally updated. It's been inaccurate for fifty, fifty one, and fifty two. Uh, it still, I think, had, like, Hercules on it and stuff. Um, and he's not been on the team for a little while. Right. So that's a very, yeah. very minor point. But I, I was happy that it was finally updated. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. And um, one one last thing. Um, at, at the very beginning of the issue where, well, you know, the Avengers show up and confront Cyclops and then Cyclops attacks them, it just occurred to me, like, why is he – Attacking the Avengers because he sent Angel to go get them. <laughs> and, yeah, oh, like, yeah. hey, can you come and rescue us? And and then they show up and he immediately attacks them.
0: <laughs> well, they kind of attack him first, though. He's probably yeah. he's probably defending himself, right? Because mm. all of the Avengers just see Cyclops standing over Quicksilver's body. And they're like, look, Cyclops has taken out Quicksilver. Get him. And so, like, Quicksilver fires his bow. It, um, oh no i guess well, no
2: cyclops shoots first cyclops yeah. shoots first yeah
1: <laughs> he says nobody tells an x-man what to
2: do i guess nobody, so yeah exactly right <laughs> <laughs> like so. Panther's
1: kind of the one voice of reason he's like there should be no reason for you to fire hawkeye unless the youth before us resists <laughs> um, yeah there you go that yeah. didn't really calm anything down i
0: think they had to <laughs> just force the battle in there because The X-Men versus Avengers is what we wanted to see
1: on the cover. So we have to see that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: There we go. (laughs) Good point. Okay. Well, thanks Jared for joining us for these two issues. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody will check out our X-Men, X-Men issues with Jared as our co-host. And uh, yeah, thanks for dropping by. Yep. No problem. Well, Chris, let's pick up where we left off and head on over to issue number 54 featuring the new masters of evil deliver us from the masters of evils is what this issue is called. Uh, and wow we this is this is where, things I think really start to step up is a noticeable difference in terms of just uh, the the storytelling, the drama as it relates to the the personal uh the personal aspect of the Avengers. Up until this point I feel like we've had villains that have been larger than life who have really attacked the Avengers because they want to take over the world or that kind of thing, but um, now through this story and the ones that are coming up after that these are all really personal stories and especially because we find out right off the bat that, that Jarvis has betrayed the Avengers He's mm-hmm. he is giving information to the new Masters of Evil which is made up of the Claw, Whirlwind, Melter Black Knight and Radioactive Man and led by this guy named the Crimson Cowl
1: right and it's the, the kind of tension of that is built by the fact that the Avengers are even though Black Panther has joined now, the Avengers are still at a very vulnerable place. So yeah. it's, it's a small team. It's just Black Panther, Hawkeye, Wasp, and Goliath. Um, and they're fighting against all of these incredibly superpowered um, supervillains who banded together to defeat them, which makes the prospects look pretty grim for the team.
0: Uh, some more really great art from John Buscema. I think we're going to say that in pretty much every issue that he
2: draws. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it just, it just ramps up. I love, in, in this epic collection, You can he grows so much in just a year or so um, from his earliest appearances. And those early appearances are solid, but his panel layouts here are incredible. He has so many of these four panel pages that he really loves. And those, you'll hear artists talk about four panel pages being difficult to pull off, and he does it so well. They're always so dramatic. Each one looks like almost like a little mini cover. Um, and they're just they're just really well composed. The way the characters kind of bend and twist around. Um, yeah, he just he just takes advantage of every inch of panel space he has available.
0: In this issue, he also uses a lot of six-panel layouts, which mm-hmm. uh, I which is a little bit unusual. I mentioned that already for him. And even more right. unusual is that his six panels are two tiers of three rather than three tiers of two. Because if you have yes. three tiers of two, you'd get squares. But yes. with three, with two tiers of three, you get these long um, vertical rectangles, and mm-hmm. therefore, uh, it you have to use very different posing and different. Uh, um, arrangements to get your characters to, to play well uh, within these right. tall, skinny panels,
1: and he crops characters pretty dramatically, which is which makes for a really cool effect a lot of the time. Um, and he his just his graphic design sense is really strong. And even sometimes on pages where it's a five-panel page, you'll still one either the top or the bottom will be those a set of three tall panels like that. Um, So he's there's a lot of those tall half page, um, tall panels uh, in this issue.
0: My favorite panel in this whole issue is on page two. Yeah. It's the one where Jarvis is talking on the phone and it's all in this green, and yes. the coloring is really nice, but the reason I like it is because it's just a beautifully rendered picture. I mean, you get, like, the cufflinks on his cuff, and the the phone cord goes between his middle and his ring finger. It's, like, little yep. details like that. It's, like, you know that he's not just talking on the phone. He is interacting with the phone. It, it's right. just and incredible. He,
1: the way his, right, the way his left hand is resting on the bottom of the phone, he's almost, like, shielding his voice a little bit, Yep, and his eyes are looking off to the side because he Wants to make sure nobody hears him. It's it's fantastic.
0: It just looks so so nice. And uh, the other one I really like here is on page three fifty three. It's the it's the half splash page with the Masters of Evil, and this yep. isn't just a splash page the camera is low, so you're looking up at these, these characters, and the Claw's arm is going across the page, so, mm-hmm. so the Melter and the Whirlwind are seen under, like, under Claw's armpit, and it just it's, a, it's an odd pose, but it looks really, really cool.
1: Yeah, and it, and it also really helps the flow of the page. Um, Art Symec is, is the letterer in this issue, and he chooses to use this giant, kind of jagged balloon, and all of the characters' names are in these giant, kind of ridiculous-looking bold, and it, but it actually yep. really works. And so the, you know, it says the names of all the characters, and then your eye travels down the claws arm, yep, to um, the next and bubble. Then it says, announces that these are the ma- new masters of evil. And yeah, it's just really interesting choices that are not natural necessarily. Like with like even the bottom right-hand corner of that panel with radioactive man's giant hand being right there. Right. Um. But it it, it all works just really well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it looks so good. Yeah.
1: Um. And then. Uh, the the one the one thing, and I read this I read this in a column or excuse me in a comment I mean, um, on a blog post that was discussing this issue. There is no mention of the fact that the whirlwind has an obsession with the wasp um, and is still the wasp's chauffeur. There is a the mention of that. plot point. Oh, there is.
0: Yeah, if you look on page three fifty six, he thinks it mm. to himself. On the contrary, I oh, am the chauffeur yeah. of yep, Janet yep. Van Dyne, the wasp.
1: Uh, but I want no one to know that. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Okay, thank you. Because somebody mentioned that, why wasn't this a bigger point? And I, uh, I agreed with them, but I forgot about that, uh, that thought balloon. So
0: yes, you. so I think that they are building... They're going to keep that thread going for a little while. And I think, though, that mentioning that actually makes the drama of the big reveal at the end here even more dramatic. Because at the end of this issue, when the, cowl, the crimson cowl rips off his mask and it's Jarvis underneath, now we're thinking... And I can't imagine what people who are reading this for the first time back then, they're thinking now not only was the chauffeur a bad guy, but now also their butler who's been living with them also is a bad guy. like, that's a huge, just a shock to the system um, that Jarvis wasn't just betraying. He's actually the one leading the masters of evil. Like, wow.
1: (laughs) Right. You can't trust anybody around them. Yeah, Yeah, not at all. The world is crashing down around them. Um, Yeah, and the... Since we're talking about the new Masters of Evil, in case anyone had not read earlier epic collections, the original Masters of Evil were uh, led by the original Baron Zemo, Baron Heinrich Zemo, um, and also included uh, Radioactive Man, uh, the Melter, but then also had the Enchantress Executioner, um, the original Black Knight, um, Wonder Man was kind of associated with them for a little bit, so um so some of the same same members but uh, definitely a different set
0: i like these ones the this masters of evil is ca- created of the characters that are a little bit more grounded we don't have asgardians on the team which it didn't right. make sense to me that they were taking orders from baron zemo anyway so no. it's good that they're not around.
1: Right. I, I agree entirely. Um, I think in this issue, we also have our first use of like screen tones or zip tones on page 353 of the Epic Collection, the top left-hand panel. They're used to really good effect there. Um, elsewhere in this Epic Collection, it almost seems like – and I'm not sure if it's the colorist or the inker applying those – Um but they're they're almost used um just like they're experimenting with them. Um but but that particular usage of those kind of that dot pattern um that that fades darker as it goes up is I think really effective there.
0: It is very effective. Um Uh, let me see here. Okay, so go to page 368. Mm. What is up with Giant Man's head in the second panel? <laughs> yes,
1: I noticed that. Uh,
0: buried in the in whatever that, that goo is that the radioactive man sprayed him with. Um, but it's just like the line quality is completely different from anything else that's in that, that, that book there in the panel.
1: Yeah, it looks like it was taken from a different panel and pasted up there or something, like in, increased in size or something yeah. like that. Like, it looks like it was originally smaller than that, and they, they pasted it on and made it bigger. So
0: that's what I think. That's I was going to say, I think that it was drawn as a normal-sized head, but in editing, when—I guess, I don't know if it was Stan or whoever was editing this— Looked at it and was like, "Wait a minute! Giant man's supposed to be giant right now. This is a normal size head." So they cut it out and blew <laughs> it up, um, just on their I don't know what photostat oh, machine or whatever. Draw. Like so,
1: it was actually like drawn on that panel, just tinier. Yeah. Um, and they the had to The other make thing it I was thinking is it could be the wrong character or something, or his like maybe the wrong version of his costume or something like that. I'm yeah, not, that I was could trying be. To think of other reasons. But, um, yeah. I'm not sure, <laughs> but it just stands right. out. It, it does stand out as looking incorrect. Especially because all the other line work is so nice looking, and that just looks—it it looks like a golden age, like an old old golden age um, comic. There, it just looks like sloppy or strange or something.
0: Yeah, um, I guess we should also mention on page 369, we get a the one panel cameo of a a, a certain robot character. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that whole thing was a little strange, so, and we'll get into that more with the next issue. But So the big reveal is that the Crimson Cowl, who has been talking to the Masters of Evil, was actually a robot, but then the real Crimson Cowl was Jarvis. So it's this kind of double reveal.
0: Totally, which is why we saw the Crimson Cowl and Jarvis in the same room at the beginning of this, this issue. That was just a ruse, and the robot was actually talking to Jarvis.
1: Yep. So... Well, uh, yeah. yeah and that's a very dramatic <laughs> sneering john buchama panel with jarvis is looking like pure evil so
0: good and look Which at all is, the folds on yes on very the shocking clothes
1: he's and... the kind of um you know jeeves kind of uh standard stereotypical butler character and mm-hmm. now he's a source of all evil
0: <laughs> okay next issue number 55
1: yes yeah, so uh this is mayhem over manhattan um, so in this issue, um, we have a continuation of the battle between the uh, Masters of Evil and the Avengers. The issue starts with the Avengers uh, not being in very good shape. All of the Avengers have been captured, uh, and in fact, um, you know they're they're kind of stuck in stasis. Uh, there's also a plan for the Crimson Cowl to blackmail um, the world with nuclear blackmail. So threatening to drop a nuclear bomb um, and uh, the the Masters of Evil are just kind of sneering and evil and maniacal and, and the John Bushama artwork continues to step up in this issue. We also have a couple more dramatic reveals in this issue um, that we'll get into uh, specifically of so the last issue it was the Crimson Cowl is just a robot but the real Crimson Cowl is Jarvis and then this issue we have that reversed where Jarvis was just kind of mind controlled and the robot who is supposed to be a stand-in is uh actually the true leader of the masters (laughs) of Uh, and we learned that the name of the robot is Ultron Five, the Living Automaton.
0: This was a surprise. I I've never read these issues before, so I didn't realize that this was actually going to be Ultron's first appearance. And so that was right. that was yep. pretty cool to see. Like that's a yep. an unassuming start to what becomes a a huge major player for the Avengers.
1: Yeah, it's always fascinating to me when there's these characters who become, you know, especially now with movies that are the you know super internationally famous uh, pop culture character. But the first time they were invented is kind of a very strange thing. Deadpool is the same way, um, where he he was just kind of a a random side character at first. And now he's one of the most recognizable pop culture figures in the world. So, uh, (laughs) you know, it just goes to show that people, these are comics that people are cranking out month to month and they're not. You know, they don't have a marketing team, you know, planning the uh, the release and the announcement of every single brand new character, um, especially back, back in the 60s. Yeah.
0: So this was a cool issue to see Black Knight kind of show his colors as well as being a a good guy, helping the Avengers yep. uh, save the day. I liked that mm-hmm. a lot. And I just love just, again, the way he draws, John Butte Simon draws him and his horse and everything just looks so good.
1: Right. Right, and I also love that he's kind of has the uh, the Lone Ranger characteristic where he just, you know, he comes in, saves the Avengers um and then and he doesn't want to talk to anyone he just kind of flies off on his uh, <laughs> the, there he goes lady winging it for parts unknown on page and he <laughs> yep. just kind of takes off on his on his uh, uh horse which i think is aragorn i think he names this horse yep um i think it was um i think he might have just called it pegasus or something more generic first aragorn named his horse um yeah and yes we see uh, ultron in the previous issue he was in one panel and here he is in, in full effect i think that the face they designed for ultron is so iconic and so important the I think it was said to be supposed to be a little ant-like in some ways, or insect-like is it was the thinking behind it, um, which I kind of see. But it, it looks like no other robot face, really. Um, yeah. you know, there's a very standard look for kind of 1950s, 1960s pulp robots, and Ultron does not quite fit that mold. And I think it's really important that they design something so iconic and unique.
0: They're kind of going for a, a skull look, I think.
1: Right, yeah. Um, but with this kind of like... Just the the way they have those angles on it, and you know the way that the eyes shoot up towards the head, and yeah. you know, the jagged mouth. It's, yeah, it's you're right. It's, it's skull-like and inhuman and very cool. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, Javushima's artwork continues to be incredible in this. A, a lot, a, a lot more of those, you know, big uh, four-panel pages. On Page 377, you see the Masters of Evil, all just, you know, all their faces are kind of jammed in one panel together and they all look just (laughs) kind of absurdly evil. It's really effective. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, And then you get also um, some, like if you go to page 379, um, three panels per that page, but they're all kind of widescreen panels, Mm -hmm. uh, which I I guess if we're really looking at it, he doesn't use those widescreen panels as much as he uses the vertical panels. Um, right. Yeah. And then flip back to page three. I'm, we're all over the place here. 376, <laughs> page six of this issue, with which is the confrontation between the Crimson Cowl and the Claw. And there's a six panel layout right there with the two tiers, the three, sorry, the three tiers of two that I was mentioning before, where it's all boxes. And if you look at the panel and then just pick any old page that has those tall vertical panels, what a stark difference that makes in just the way his composition works. I think he is definitely, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, this page with the the square panels really has a much more of a vintage look to it, just the way he poses his characters there. Uh, whereas the other ones are way more um, interesting to look at
1: right, I agree I think he's I think he's better at those tall like so if you go to page three eighty um, which isn't even the best example of that, but even there he's so good at filling those tall vertical panels, and he does cool kind of experimental things like in the bottom middle panel, he drops out the border, so you just have the outlines of the figures. Um, you know, the the top panel, you have the Jarvis in this kind of catatonic state with the hand reaching towards him. I think he's just is better at making those tall dramatic panels work and making his characters fit. Yeah,
0: I think so, too. Now, my only beef with this issue is that in the end, we find out that Jarvis was a robot, or uh, sorry, that the Crimson Cowl was a robot, but Jarvis is still a traitor. He still betrayed these guys. And it's like, Ah oh, man, I, I feel bad for him because he had a reason. His mother was sick, and he needed money. But like, he is Tony yep. Stark's butler. Right? He should have gone to Tony Stark with his problem, not to the bad right. guys.
1: Right? And I mean, like, you know, Black Panther. You know, it's never like these. They're not guaranteed that they're going to defeat them. This is a really powerful team of supervillains that he's. Um, giving information to, and like the Avengers are not at their strongest. They're you know essentially you know three three people who have or excuse me four people who basically don't have superpowers. I mean, Black Panther has the like. Herbs that give him some kind of you know extra human strength, kind of. But they're not. It's not like he's talking about Thor and Iron Man or Hercules or something like that. There's a very good chance that some of these Avengers could die if the Masters of Evil attack them.
0: Yeah, and and in the end, and also Jen, I guess, came into money. He could have even asked Jan, but right. instead he sells secrets. And I think that's just like it's. We don't know Jarvis very well at this point. He doesn't mm-hmm. show up in very yep. many issues. And this kind of paints a bad color. I mean, he's learned his lesson. He says, but yep. what's he going to do next time?
1: Right. It is nice that they forgive him. That is a like kind of nice, touching moment. But yeah. you're right. I, I, I similarly was. Uh, I thought that was a pretty bad thing to do, and they, they get over it pretty quickly there. Um, and then I also, I also really do like the way that Black Knight is. Like he's almost like a detective. Like he infiltrates this group, and then he, you know, he kind of steps up, saves the Avengers. Um, he, he's incorporated. He's a very good guest star. He's just kind of a uh, a cast member who you know kind of um, kind of comes into the book at key moments and then takes off and it, I don't I think it's fine they don't have him around all the time but it's his appearances when they do happen are nice I like them and, and his character design is great I just like mm-hmm. the way his costume looks too so that
0: helps and then we we also get the last panel saying that Ultron five is going to show up again which we're very it's, it's very exciting that we're going to see that in the next volume in volume right. four
1: and I love that they call him yep. Ultron five which naturally makes you think like well what what about Ultron one two three and four like <laughs> Desire to learn more about the previous version.
0: Totally. So. Now you you fast forward to the '80s in Roger Stern's run in the Under Siege story, where the Masters of Evil essentially kind of do the same thing. They bust into the Avengers Mansion and beat everybody up, except right. it's way way more effective. There's more of them, and they take they take down everybody. And um and Jarvis is caught up in the middle of that one. And Jarvis yep. gets beaten almost to death, but never once does he betray any secrets or anything, and he's kind of the most valuable member of the Avengers during that storyline. Um and it's just uh yep. what a what a stark contrast to to this story here. Uh, it's kind of a cool just uh to compare the two to see where his character goes and uh, when you even when you use the same sort of story the same setup
1: exactly yeah there's a an incredible issue of avengers um, called uh, it's Avengers number two eighty. Um, I actually wrote a column for it. I wrote a I wrote a column for Multiversity Comics um, called Avengers Historian um, for about a year, and one of my columns is specifically focused on that issue. Um, and that whole issue is Jarvis kind of um, you know thinking back to all the terrible things that happened to him while the Avengers management was under siege. It also kind of walks through his role in Avengers history. Um, and, and recounts his, his former uh, this former kind of um, alliance with Ultron um, and so it's it's a really good portrait of Jarvis so if you want to go to Jarvis comic <laughs> you should check out Avengers number 280 totally. I highly recommend it
0: cool yeah. okay oh, yeah, so we move on to the next one here number 56
1: yeah. um, so the next yes yep. uh, so the next issue we have Um, is Avengers 56 Death, Be Not Proud. Uh, And this one starts very dramatically in front of a castle. Um, So the Avengers have been called to this castle by Captain America. Um, and so uh, the team of Wasp, Black Panther, Goliath, and Hawkeye have to infiltrate the castle to find Captain America and find out why he summoned them there. Um, the reason he summoned them there has to do with uh, Dr. Doom's uh, time travel machine that we have seen in previous issues of the Fantastic Four. Uh, and we travel back to the past um, to uh, to revisit the story of Captain America and Bucky versus Baron Zemo on the fateful day that uh, he was killed by Ka- uh, by Baron Zemo and Captain america was thrown into the ocean to be frozen in a block of ice and suspended animation
0: here's where we see the the black panther's mask he he has a full mask now i thought it was in the previous story but it's actually it's it's right here where it starts so they're still playing with his character design and this is mm-hmm. how black panther is going to be known pretty much for the rest of his life for the next several decades
1: yep. <laughs> Yes, and I do think this is a better costume. Design. Oh, for sure, he looks more way way cooler, way more mysterious. I, I just like the way this, this costume looks.
0: Yeah, so this issue is interesting because we knew way back in the the Masters of Evil first appearance, I think, in Avengers number six. That Baron Zemo is the one who killed Bucky. he That's where we first find out that he is responsible for Bucky's death. And it's just said kind of as an aside. Um, they don't go into any sort of detail of the history. So this is the first time when we actually get the full backstory of what happened when uh, Captain America and Bucky died at, during World War II.
1: Mm. Yeah, I I really like that, and then we see we had seen it previously in Avengers number fifteen, the death of Zemo, because there was a plotline at the time that Captain America had been like hunting him, kind of to get vengeance on Bucky's death. Um, and now we kind of get that, that story is, again, continued in the pages of Avengers. So instead of this being in Captain America's comic, um, we kind of get the story in Avengers, which is a nice touch for somebody who has been you know, reading the epic collections in this case or back then had been reading the single issues, this kind of uh, storyline of Captain America and Baron Zemo uh, is continued in the pages of the Avengers.
0: Now, it does get a little convoluted because there's some time travel yes. involved and <laughs> just some yep. weird things happen uh, because this story... I actually continues next in the annual so things like the wasp gets even more convoluted yeah really (laughs) does the wasp falls asleep at one point and um kind of messes things up because and i don't know how their time machine's supposed to work but they go to i guess there's a certain setting where you can visit the past but stay invisible so no one will will know that you're there but wasp pushes a button and it makes them reveal which there's there's a weird sense of time travel because it's like It's like they move to a certain point in the past, but then time moves at a parallel pace in the past and the present. Because if the wasp is just waiting, first of all, they should just go and they should come back like right away in her eyes Mm -hmm. because time travel should be instantaneous. They can return to exactly the same point that they left. But for them, it's like they go, she's waiting, and let's say 10 minutes pass, then she falls asleep. But 10 minutes has also passed for captain america and his team in the past it's kind of weird right. how that works
1: yep they're they're kind of still tethered to the present and the way time passes in the present yeah so it, it's like with king stories my rule on this is on any time tra- travel stories is don't think about it too hard and then i generally have a more pleasurable reading experience <laughs> yeah <laughs> if i try to make it make logical sense i generally get lost in the way
0: so one of the things that they don't really point out is that technically Captain America is kind of res- like the present day Captain America is kind of responsible for Bucky's death because they were going to be strapped to this rocket, but then Captain America at the last second throws his shield and frees Captain or frees Steve and Bucky in the past, uh, and then they go off and stop the rocket, and we see the scene that we are familiar with, where the, you know they jump off and Cap falls into the water and Bucky explodes, and if if cap hadn't freed them that wouldn't have happened it would have been something i mean they would have died a different way but i feel like fate needed bucky to die anyway like no matter what yeah. happened.
1: it seemed like they were kind of getting at that like captain america was responsible but they didn't really tease that out fully no on page 404 right before um right before the kind of confrontation between a modern day captain america in uh, 1940s baron zemo there's a line as emo says the he says uh be certain they're bound securely the fuhrer will want to behold their lifeless bodies when the captured plane lands in the very heart of berlin itself so the idea is that they're going to be strapped to the plane and then the plane is going to land and then i guess they're going to do something to them when they land or something or maybe the flight will kill them because it's I, it's a little unclear yeah
0: exactly i don't know Yeah. So Uh, in that sense, though, if they're going to be, uh, it says they're lifeless bodies, but we don't know if they're just unconscious or if they're going to be dead or whatever. But Captain America, in a sense, saves himself by freeing him from being strapped to that plane uh, because that's that enables Steve to then go and, and, you know, accidentally fall into the ice and be frozen. Yep.
1: Yep. But by freeing himself, it enables Bucky to be free to chase after the plane and then crash into the ocean. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a kind of tragedy, um, Shakespearean tragedy element going on. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the issue is a strange one, definitely, especially because the, the kind of issues leading up to this have been, they've been very good, but they've also just been, you know, like the Masters of Evil show up or, or the Grim Reaper shows up and there, there's a battle and it's kind of a standard fight comic. Um, and this one is just strange and it deals in continuity pretty heavily. Um, and weird laws of time travel, and the ending's not very satisfying. Um, you know, it will be, conclu- you know, kind of continued in the the annual. So it, it's an odd comic. It's good. The Bussema art is good, but. Um, I don't think it's the highlight of this epic collection.
0: Right. So this story is continued. Uh, not only is it continued in the Avengers annual that we're going to talk about next, but it's also continued in What If number four. Um, if you if you are familiar with What If, there's an issue called What If the, the Invaders Had Remained a Team After World War II. And so mm. it spins directly out of this storyline where Captain America, in fact, it mentions, it shows the part where Captain America frees their bonds uh, and, and they... They, get, they go on to doing their thing um, but it, it, then it goes off to talking about what happened, how do the invaders react to the fact that Captain America died and they decide that they want to remain a team. And so they become a team throughout the 1950s and they bring in another Captain America and another Bucky. And in fact, in the end, in the letter pages, Roy Thomas, who wrote that issue, says uh, this is actually an incontinuity story. It's not, a, it's not actually a what if. This is because he's trying to reconcile reconcile a bunch of things like captain america did have a reboot in the 50s um that that failed and didn't go anywhere he's trying to say well if captain america was in ice who's this captain america who was in the 50s and trying to tie all of this stuff up Mm. together again so he manages to do that in that issue of what if what if number four
1: ah i see i've never read that sounds fascinating Demonstrates uh, Roy Thomas's love of continuity. It sure does make everything make sense. To it me. really does. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: But let's keep on going over here to the next one, Avengers number two. So this one starts off. Uh, oh, sorry. What's the issue here? And time, the rushing river. This one starts off with the Avengers coming back to the present and their 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 car, their arrow car or whatever they call it at Dr. Doom's castle is, is gone. Someone's stolen it or whatever. So they have to walk back. And as they're walking back, everyone's giving them weird looks. And they're like, what the heck is going on? And they soon find out it's because they get back to Avengers Mansion and the original Avengers, as they first, as they looked back in like five years ago in 1961 or 1963 mm-hmm. or whatever it was. They're there, and they have a battle. It's old Avengers versus new Avengers. Yep. Um and uh,
1: and it seemed like Hank Pym was not gonna attack Hank Pym once they realized they were the same person, but that didn't stop them. Yeah, <laughs> so just yells, "I'm no phony!" and punches him in the head. Like,
0: <laughs> and we, the reader, find out that the old Avengers are uh, kind of led by this guy named the Scarlet Centurion, who is kind of out of phase with reality. He's communicating from a different dimension. His thing yep. is that he wanted the the Avengers, the old Avengers, to destroy every hero, every superpowered being. on the planet because that will save the earth he he comes from the future and knows that the earth is doomed unless they take out every superpowered person so we get A couple of pages of the Avengers taking out the Fantastic Four, taking out the X Men, taking out Submariner, Doctor Strange, um, Daredevil, even all of the Shield agents, and then a double-page spread of them taking out every villain.
1: Yes, yes, it's a uh, it's a symbolic montage of the many memories running through Captain. (laughs) Yes, because all of this (laughs) and all of this was witnessed because Captain America plugged his like head into like a historical memory device that was still existent in this timeline. And so he witnessed that this is the kind of history of this alternate um, alternate Earth. Yeah. Um, and actually, I I found a, a note online that thinks that this is the first Marvel Comics multiverse uh, introduction. So this is the introduction of the idea of the multiverse in a way. Um, in Marvel Comics, because um, in this there are, are there are two different divergent timelines that both exist. Um, so there's you know there's the the Giant Man of of that this kind of timeline that's been messed up by the Scarlet Centurion and the timeline of that our team is from. So in in some ways this is the start of the famous Marvel multiverse.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. there's actually a third timeline that I'll talk about a little bit okay. later as well.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I don't know if I noticed it the third time. I, I might have just forgotten. This, this plot is kind of convoluted if you haven't noticed.
0: <laughs> no, I'll, I'll mention it. It's actually not in this issue.
1: Oh. Okay, um, this is a cool way to run through like all of the different heroes and comics that are currently in the Marvel kind of publishing line by having uh, having the heroes beat up every single character. Yeah, uh, I thought that would, normally you know you'll see like the characters drop in or as Spider-Man swinging through town, he'll see all the other characters from all their other comics. And in this, you get to see the Avengers like knock out every single member of every other comic book in the Marvel lineup. So I thought that was an interesting way to do <laughs> that intercompany crossover.
0: Totally, uh, I love that uh, we get Don Heck back. It's kind Kind of nice and familiar to to see him doing this annual. Uh, however, yep. I was surprised at how just how dated I guess his artwork looked. Now that we're so spoiled with John Buscema, like it's still good, right? But it's it definitely takes mm-hmm. us back a few years to just the way he does his poses, his right. layouts, and just the way we read it.
1: Yep, yep. And he doesn't. He's not doing those the things that Buscema has gotten so good at in recent issues of you know really taking advantage of filling every like inch of the panel and also using those big dramatic cinematic panels heck's not really doing much of that and and i don't know how much of the the, the way this looks is it's the art credits credited uh, jointly to don heck and warner Roth. so i don't know if heck's just doing the layouts um if you know if the some panels are off some, some are heck and then coletta on the inks so but but you're right it does feel especially after bucema style has been modernizing consistently over the last year or two to to jump to heck style does feel like a step back
0: I think Werner Roth might have something to do with it because I'm just not as keen of a fan of his. Uh, I, I find he's not as strong as the other Pencillers in the Marvel bullpen at the time. If you go to page 441, this is page 28 in this issue where Black Panther's fighting the Hulk. And just uh, if you think about those the, the fight scene between the Black Panther and the Grim Reaper and how just yep. cinematic that was. Com- and you compare it to just right. like the fuck of him kicking the ch- the Hulk in the in the chest, Fuck. <laughs> yep. this doesn't and grab the characters... you the same way, yep. and then the Hulk punches the black yeah, panther, and black panther like, in the next like
1: a two by four and such. yeah, <laughs> well,
0: and in the fourth panel the the Hulk swats panther away, and you just see like a a little whirlwind or whatever, and it's not it's not as effective, it's not as well thought out, and no, I don't know, not as good
1: <laughs> yeah, it looks dashed out a little bit more um. And, you know, and and similar to Avengers Annual number 1, this issue, there is, it's pretty drawn out. I mean, this is, it's a long comic. It's, I think, another comic that's, so this one is 44 pages of the main story is of this issue, and there's a lot of just fighting, like panel after panel after panel of just, you know, Punches and kicks and tackles, just going back and forth.
0: The big reveal at the end of this issue is that the Scarlet Centurion is actually the same person as Ramatut, just from centuries in the future. Yes. So that is really cool. Yes. I love it. Oh, and right. then they also, and the also the the other yeah. big reveal. There's two big reveals because the other big reveal is that Ramatut is actually also Kang the Conqueror. I think that's where they say this for the first time, right? Or is
1: that revealed um, before? I'm trying to remember because. I think it was revealed before, oh, okay, um, or at least hinted at, because there was there was the issue where Ramatut talked to Doctor Doom. I'm pretty sure, um, but that was in Avengers. I'm pretty 8. sure that Kang was already brought into the picture before. <laughs> I don't before know this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to. It gets very confusing. So, so this character is Nathaniel Richards, and Nathaniel. So technically, after this issue happened. Then we go back in time, then Kang, Scarlet Centurion went on to become Kang after this and then was in the future and then traveled back into time in Avengers 8, I think, when Kang first appeared, then attacked the Avengers. So this, this all gets very, and then there's a different Scarlet Centurion who is the son of Kang um, that you see in like the Kang Dynasty comics and like the Avengers Volume 3. So that's a different Scarlet Centurion than this, um, but the, this is the first introduction of that kind of name. So it, it gets very complicated. (laughs)
0: It really does. Yeah. Okay. The third timeline that I was mentioning is in another what if issue. Uh, It is issue number 29. What if issue number 29? What if the Avengers defeated everybody? And it spins out of this issue. And it says, um, the the concept is what if the new Avengers weren't there, uh, like didn't go back to the past to stop the old Avengers from destroying everybody? Uh, And so it basically plays out the whole story. What if the Scarlet Centurion was able to actually accomplish his goals? And so it's very, very cool. Um, That story is a lot of fun to, to see where the world ends up at the very end because um, a lot happens and so that and that's you know the whole concept of the what if is to introduce a multiverse of many many different stories the watcher says it in every single issue at the very beginning that you know this is a uh, there are many different timelines and this is just one of the timelines is something different happened so it's kind of cool right. that it, they so played on this
1: technically in continuity <laughs> <laughs> yes that's right yeah but yeah I, the annual annual two like annual one is a fine issue But, uh, you know, it's not it's I think to to me, it's one of my least favorite things. The the annuals are my probably my least favorite things about these epic collections. I'm not uh, not a huge fan of them. I think they just Um, suffer from being
0: from being too long.
1: Right. Way too long. Yeah, they don't. They don't need to be. This this story is not a story that had to be told in 44 pages. It, it could have been could have been chopped down much further than that and still have been effective and gotten all the plot points in. Um, yeah. Right after the story concludes, we have a really awesome um, kind of pinup of of all the Avengers to date, with the exception of Swordsman, who was he was technically an Avenger briefly, but then very quickly not one uh, after his villainy was was apparent. But but aside from him, every Avenger to date is present in uh, in this pinup on page 458 and 459 of the Epic Collection. It's really nice. Yes, and I think and I so I read online that this was inked by Bill Everett, uh creator of the oh, okay. submarin, um, which which is awesome. He's a fantastic artist and yeah, it just looks looks really good. Uh and then also in this annual uh we had Avengers assemble. <laughs> <Yep>. Um <laughs> which I Which love I this. I actually thought, yeah, I really like this. I am um, not a fan at all, really. Of I don't, I'm not sure how, how you feel about it, of the not brand X stuff. Um, I, I never really thought it was that funny. When I was a kid, I was just confused <laughs> by it primarily. Yeah. And now it's just strange and it's mostly just puns and yeah. But this I thought was really funny because you have you have uh, Roy Thomas, a cartoony caric- caricature of him, going around and like hunting down Don Heck um to to draw more comics and you have a characterization of John Bushema. and I I thought this is great because you you wonder what these what these people are like and this is kind of their co-workers ragging on them um and making fun of them uh, <laughs> there was also a really um was it um I think it was in it was in this issue that Stan Lee shows up at the end yep that's right um and yeah so Stan Lee kind of shows up at the at the very end of this and um, you know, he seems kind of like a like a goofball and pops out and is complaining that everyone's late on their comic and yeah, it, I, I like it. I thought this was a fun look into the Marvel bullpen.
0: I thought so too. I like the just the peek behind the curtain. I know they're just making fun of it, but I think there's a lot of truth to just like the deadline issues and constantly hounding people. Yep. And and Roy is just like, um, okay, well if you can't do it, I got to find someone else to do this here. And you guys, you go over here and do this one and that one and do these pages and. And I especially yep. like the part in page four sixty four in the last page of this story where at the top um he's like <laughs> uh he's just he's trying to draw he's trying to write things to go with what's being drawn." And you and I have been talking about the the disconnect often between the art and the words, and this is kind of, I think, how it goes. <laughs> so Roy <Right>. says, <laughs> yeah. okay, Dashing, uh, referring to um, Don Heck, Dashing Don Heck, I, I've got a finish for you. All of the old, old Avengers will fight all of the new Avengers again. And he's like, I know, I know, with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir standing in the background. And then he goes over to Big John and says, Member Jarvis has to appear in the first part of the story. And then John says, but I'm already up to page nine. Okay, so I'll write the issue backwards. Then he goes back to Don and says, By the way, Donnie, let's have Captain America, in the hero in the special. And he says, Captain America? But I got him clobbered back on page 40. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's like it's the the back and forth. Oh, yeah. And then the last panel, he says, and Johnny boy, be sure you play up the Black Panther. And John says, Black Panther, is he an Avenger? I've been drawing Black Bolt in every other panel. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> that I can see, like, that's probably how it goes with the Marvel method at work right there. I think that's very telling.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. It seems like that is not uh, an inaccurate depiction of that. And this is written by Roy Thomas. This yep, little special yep. drawn by Jim Dushama. Um, and I think John Bushema took a little dig at Don Heck at the NeS panel of this story and so their pages get all mixed up as they're crashing into the Marvel offices and John says <laughs> Lego heck that page is one of mine how can you tell the girl on it looks like a human girl Schmerl, that's a pick of Baron Zemo <laughs> yeah. so I think he's I think he's taking a little dig at heck there maybe a little bit I love uh, it. not being as realistic of a cartoonist as, uh, as he is maybe yeah um, so yeah that was fun and then after this we have the two two stories from not brand Eck um, five and eight the two kind of Avengers focused ones uh, w- what are your thoughts on not brand Ec as, a, as a title
0: well first of all I'm going to say that um, I when I first started getting epic collections I didn't like these stories but I got the not brand Eck complete collection and I really yeah. like it uh, because yeah. and I've, I've done a couple of episodes on the first two issues of not brand Eck and what I did there was I purposely decided to go page by page with my co-host and go through every single pop culture reference I could find, to which there are dozens and dozens on every page. And (laughs) it made it a really cool reading experience because I got to learn about the era, and a lot of the jokes made more sense because I understood Mm -hmm. the context A lot of the references that just go way over my head that I'm reading just when I just read it straight, they they don't play well because I don't understand them. But when you do understand them, it actually makes it quite funny. Um, I love seeing the artists drawing in a style that they're not used to. So these two stories are Gene Colan, and he is a great funny artist. Um, yep,
1: yeah. and so and I it's think it's funny because you can see the gene colon like style a little yep, bit, but totally. in a very different way. Yeah.
0: And I think the same thing would happen if you're reading mad magazine, like that's a really funny book too. But if you are not familiar with the current events or the politics of the day, a lot of it would just fall flat. You wouldn't get it. Um, yep. and that's, that's just kind of the way, uh, satire like this works, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I yep. was, I was either in this, the first story or the second one. It did say, it said somewhere like, there's more of them than there are Democratic primary candidates or something like that. And I looked up the Democratic primary candidates in 1968, and there are a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, There you go yeah so so that did make me enjoy so maybe i need to do that with all the jokes so it's was, it was but it's Hugo very Humphrey time and consuming Gene mccarthy and george mcgovern and channing phillips and lester maddox and Bobby <laughs> Kennedy and Johnson. like there's a lot of them yeah so and that and then i was like oh i kind of get that now the the kind of uh saddest joke i found in this is there's a on the first page so page uh 466 of, of this epic collection there's a bottle with a message in it floating in the water that says help i'm being held prisoner by marvel comics and it's signed Jack Kirby, <laughs> so that was a little. I didn't know if that was like Gene Cullen taking a shot at Marvel Comics, um, or, or what that, was, or Roy Thomas maybe. But um, I, yeah, you know, famously, famously Jack Kirby, you know, was was not getting paid enough money. You know, he was not getting his art back. Um, he had a lot of disputes with Marvel Comics at the time, so that uh, that was a little sad. <laughs> that note there. But, and this uh, issue would have come sad. out in
0: 1968, and doesn't he leave in 1969
1: or 1970? Yeah, it's it's very shortly after this, so I think things had started to turn sour. Wow, so, uh, <laughs> that's pretty. That's a little, a little crazy. Dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really like the cover, I, uh, and I think it's really funny to not brand back issue eight, which is a Marie Severin cover. It looks like. Um, And, yeah, I I just think it's hilarious. This was in – I had this big, like, history of Marvel Comics book growing up as a kid. Um, and this cover was one of the ones in there, and I looked at that book over and over again when I was a kid. Um, so this cover is kind of burned in my memory. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, cool. It's fantastic. It is. It is, it is great. Um, Maurice, you even have a crazy cat reference in there as well. The little a with Ignatz, yeah, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, that, this story, actually, the second story in here is called the fan. This fan, this Forbush, which is a play on this man, this monster. Uh, yes. <laughs> the, this is a. It, it's so specifically tied to the issues that we just. So it's really cool that they included it in here because... It only deals with the villains that were in the last few issues that we read. It talks about Black Panther just joining the team, like Giant Man's costume is the costume. Like it's it's all playing off of the current Marvel Avengers issues that we just read. So it it's very timely. And if you take the time to think about that and look at the jokes, it's uh, they make some pretty good. It's I, I don't know. I think it's pretty good. Um, I've yeah. been sold on not brand Eck. I know a lot of people out there are not into it, but uh, personally, my mind has been changed when I started actually kind of digging into it a little bit deeper than just kind of reading it on surface level.
1: Nice. Yeah, I think I think I maybe have to dig a little bit more into the pop culture references to appreciate it. Um, but but I also think if I read more of the ones that are illustrated by Marie Severin, I really like her as a illustrator. She's great. As a yep. cartoonist. Um, so, so I think I would also like to dig into some of her work specifically. That probably helped my perception of the title. Well,
0: I encourage you then to head over to my the, the Not Brent Eck episodes that I've done because I've done all the work for you we found pretty (laughs) much every pop culture reference that we could find uh, and and laid it out there for you, so you can go page by page, panel by panel, with us, and we will guide you through those issues.
1: <laughs> I think I might have to do that because uh, then it'll save me a lot of time on looking. At people okay, on my own. I'm looking that's right.
0: It is very time consuming. Primary <laughs> candidates from the late '60s. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's our episode for today. Uh, do you have any closing comments? Oh, I guess we should talk about some of the art- artwork, the, the bonus features in the back of this epic collection. Um, we've talked about a bunch of them already, but the one that I really want to point out is the cover to Marvel Triple Action number 47 mm. which is drawn by Steve Ditko which is basically yes. just a reverse cover to issue number 54 It's yes. uh, from the different which is perspective a fascinating idea yeah it's a great idea <laughs> and the way they've laid it out in the epic collection here is they put the original art or actually just a photostat of the original art on the opposite page so you can see both of them side by side and it's very cool
1: yep yeah i am a huge steve ditko fan so i love seeing steve ditko drawing this era of the avengers i i just recently uh got the the first steve ditko and stanley um kind of pre pre pre-superhero omnibus with all their monster all the short stories i'm very excited to crack into that he's such a
0: master at that yep
1: yep so uh, yeah, I, I thought the I thought the backup features were were cool. I, I always like seeing the the black and white art comparing the, the cover designs to the final versions. A lot of times in this era, they would take out um, kind of background details to try to make the cover characters pop a little bit more. Yeah, so it's interesting, interesting to see kind of editorial choices there. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is you get to see I always I always love this, but um, on the pages, uh, the early pages of John Buscema art, you can see a lot of the notes in on the in the margin. Some of them get cut off. We're not like <laughs> the, the the presentation in the back matter here is not trying to highlight those too much, but you can see like a little note like tosses Goliath into something smashing them. Yeah. And then you can see how Buscemi illustrated that. Which I'm guessing he takes he probably has whatever the write up that Thomas gave him and writes those notes next to the panel so he knows what he's kind of supposed to be drawing right. as well. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. It is cool.
0: Yep. Okay, well you know for next week we are going to just actually keep on plowing through Avengers and we're going to to cover the first half of the Avengers Epic Collection Volume 4, Behold the Vision.
1: Right, and I, I think that is the, that is one of my favorite Epic Collections that I own. That's right up there with my, like, um, Jack Kirby, like, Fantastic Four Volume 4, like, the peak of the Jack Kirby Stan Lee stuff in Fantastic Four. Yeah. Avengers Volume 4 is so, so good. It's my, I think it's my favorite Avengers Epic Collection volume as well. Cool. Um, and you see more, just incredible John B. work. I think the Roy Thomas writing is, gets maybe the best it is um in his run it's really really good um and there's some one of my favorite parts of that epic collection is really early barry windsor smith art and it's so weird and so cool and so exciting and i just love those issues.
0: <laughs> awesome well we're gonna have a fun time talking about it and i can't wait to to dive into these issues um i've only read a couple of them so this will be a lot of new material for me very very nice Right. Um awesome. yeah thanks everybody for paying attention and listening to our episode here and uh, join us on Facebook and on Instagram on Twitter just look for Epic Marvel Podcast and um, and Chris, you have uh, an Instagram account with some of your own artwork and stuff. Do you want to plug that?
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, I my Instagram account is Chris Russ Comics. Um, so I'm making uh, a little mini comic on there called Eddie the Office Goblin. So you can watch uh, the process as I put that thing together, uh, which is really fun. Um, so so I have I have one page left to draw in that in that comic. Um, cool. And then I'll be—I think I'll be giving that away for free digitally once I once I finish it up, um, and then maybe selling physical copies on uh, somewhere. But but I'll be giving that away for free digitally once it's completed. Um, so yeah, uh, that's Chris Russ Comics on Instagram, uh, and then sometimes I just uh, post other updates like uh, comics I've been reading lately, things like that too. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks.